This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. You know, we get a lot of invitations. You get them in the mail. You get them from uh, newspapers. You get them from social media. You get them from uh, people. There's all sorts of invitations. When an invitation is given, for instance, a politician gives us an invitation to vote for them, to, to follow them, because and they want to give us what they think we want to help them get a vote or perhaps what they think they should offer. You get invited to parties, or maybe your children get invited to, uh, to a get-together, to, to a party, and it's always about, hey, you come, and we're going to have a, a, a pinata, and we're going to have cake, and we're going to have ice cream, and we're going to have all these good and wonderful things. It's a good invitation, right? Um, we go out. Yesterday, we had several folks go out and give an invitation to folks to come to church, and we want them to come and enjoy the fellowship and and meet our folks, meet our pastor, and most importantly, meet Jesus Christ. We give invitations, or you get an invitation from an employer for a job, perhaps, and he wants to offer to you all of these wonderful things to try to encourage you to to come to this position or uh, another another place of, of, of occupation. And in the scripture that we're going to read, we get an invitation from Jesus Christ. It's not like the invitations that we just mentioned and many others like them. We're going to see that as we, as we read. It's a very serious invitation. I'd like you to follow along with me, if you would please, in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27, the wonderful confession of Peter concerning who Jesus Christ is. In Mark's gospel, he writes, verse 27, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? By the way, that's the most important question any human being will ever answer. But whom say ye that I am? Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And Peter understood that the man before him, the God-man, Jesus, was the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus said something a bit strange, it would seem, in verse number 30. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The title of my message this morning is taken from verse 34. Whosoever will come after me. Whosoever will come after me. It's an invitation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look into that for the next few moments. Would you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we need your help. I need your help. pray that you'd give clarity as I communicate what you've laid on my heart, communicate your word, and I pray that our hearts would be tender, receptive, and Holy Spirit, that you would do the work, that you would change us, that you would charge us, that you would challenge us. And Father, as a result, that we would respond, be filled with joy as we determine as we resolve, as we commit to follow you. Would you help us? Would you meet with us in demonstration of your spirit and power? In Jesus' name, amen. This is an invitation from the Lord. And I'm thankful, first of all, that he says, whosoever, aren't you? Whosoever will come after me. He doesn't uh, just choose and pick certain ones, but he is willing that all should come to repentance. He says, whosoever will come after me. But there's some requirements there. And we notice in the first few verses, uh, verses 27 through 31, we, we're going to see here Jesus' correction. Now, he's talking uh, to the apostles and he asks them, who do men say that I am? And of course, they answer, John the Baptist and some Elias, some one of the prophets. Then he asks that all-important question, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter spoke up, and answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And so Jesus is entering into a time of teaching them, yes, he is the Messiah, but Peter and the apostles and all of the religious Jews thought that when the Messiah would come, that he would come as king and that he would come to set up his kingdom and that he would free them from the bondage and the tyranny of the Roman Empire and that they would get to serve uh, in in. Uh, in his kingdom and be a part of, of what his will was to accomplish. And that's not at all what Jesus is about to teach them about the fact that he is the Christ. As a matter of fact, he says he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Jesus didn't want the misconception of what they thought he was coming to do and who he was with what his actual purpose was for coming. And he began to teach them in verse 31. What is he teaching them? He is correcting the misunderstanding about the Messiah setting up his kingdom on earth now to show them that before that happens, he must first suffer and die and rise again. And so he says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Well, he always leaves the the, the, the so-called bad news with, with a positive end, an element here. After three days, I'll rise again. Now, if you have read the Gospels, you understand that he revealed this to his apostles 
many, many times. And they just didn't seem to get it. They didn't seem to, to understand what he was talking about. And the reason is, is their, their mind was so fixated on what they had been taught from, from the time that they were small that the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And when he does, buddy, it's on for us. It's a good thing. He's going to set up his kingdom. All of this mess around us is going to be gone. The, the Roman Empire will be destroyed, and we're going to get to enjoy the promises of, of God. But that's not what Jesus' purpose for coming was at this time. And so he had to constantly remind them. And he didn't want to perpetuate the thought that, yes, he is the, the Christ, but he is not here to set up his kingdom. He's here to suffer. He's here to die. And it's going to be at the hands of the religious crowd, but he's going to rise again. Verse number 32, And he spake that saying openly concerning being killed and rising again. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, wait a minute. If you can imagine this, I mean, the, the boldness of Peter. He's just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to put down the Roman Empire. He's going to set up his kingdom over the earth. He's going to usher in this wonderful time. And he believes that he is the Messiah. Can you imagine the guts the boldness, the foolishness perhaps that it took to go to who he believed was the Messiah and say, wait a minute, Lord, that's not going to happen. And he says, as he began to rebuke him, uh, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, this is Jesus, he rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan, adversary, enemy, Get behind me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And so we see that Peter was focused on the, the things that are of men and not the things that are of God. Now the word there, savorest, means to regard, to side with, to think or care or value. Jesus was revealing to Peter that you don't value the things that are of God, but the things that be of men. You don't uh, regard or care about the things of God, but the things that be of men, the things that make sense to you, the things that you think are truth. And Jesus is revealing and rebuking him, uh, correcting him because Jesus is trying to reveal the truth of what his purpose and what God's will for him is. Meanwhile, Peter is uh, propagating the idea of what man's value is. Now, granted, it's, it's a noble idea because nobody wants to see their Messiah, their Christ. Nobody wants to see the death that is coming. We understand that we keep in mind that because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have an opportunity to receive the gift of eternal life through faith in what he has done as our substitute. But Peter didn't know that. And, and, and Jesus corrects him and says, You're, you don't care. You don't value the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. The Bible reminds us that the fear of man bringeth a snare. And many of us, 
all of us at some point or another have the battle of what are we going to value? Do I truly value what God wants or do I place my value in what I desire and try to fit what I desire into what God says? And we've all been there. So Peter rebukes Jesus and God rebukes him. The Lord Jesus rebukes him. My wife shared something with me about Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a missionary and she was in India to uh, children, orphans, and gave herself to, to the orphanages. And she'd come to the conclusion one day of, of her time and what she valued of what she was doing. And she made a decision, which was a great decision for us to consider this morning. She made a decision that nothing would matter to her again except the things that were eternal. How much value am I guilty of of placing in things of this world, of things of man, and not valuing the things of God, the things that are eternal? The decisions that I make and the decisions that you make are to be made as eternity uh, the backdrop. Making decisions based on, on things that are eternal and investing in things that will last and I wonder how much time I've wasted or how much time perhaps you have wasted in, in valuing the things that be of men instead of the things that be of God. You know, oftentimes we go through hardships and, and trials and nobody wishes for those, nobody wants those, uh, nobody uh, asks God to, to put them through hardships, but they happen. And those of us who have gone through them and tried to trust God and, and, and Him giving His grace and coming out on the other side have realized that those are some of the most special times, the times that we felt the closest to the Lord, the times that we've recognized God working in our lives, the most intimate times of our lives are when He has helped us through hurt and, and turmoil and, and trouble. Right? Those are the times that we would never ask for those things, but when we look back, we're so thankful that, that God allowed us to go through those things to draw us closer to Him, closer to His will, closer to thinking like He thinks, closer to the things that He values. And so Jesus corrects Peter, and He does it in the midst of all the other disciples to remind him of who he is and that his will, no matter how, uh, how bad it may sound to, to Peter and how much Peter doesn't want it to happen, he says, this is my will. This is what I want. This is what the Father values. So we see Jesus' correction. And then we read about Jesus' call. Look in verse 34 with me, if you would, please. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, notice there are the people and the disciples. So obviously we're talking about disciples believing in Christ, who he is, saved people, if you will. And then there's other people there. Now many people 
gathered around Jesus Christ when He began to teach. They enjoyed hearing what He said. They enjoyed hearing how He said it. They, they wanted to see miracles accomplished. And uh, the, the fame of the Lord Jesus was, was spreading. And they would all gather around and wanted to hear Him. So here are the people with the disciples as Jesus is about to teach a very important lesson and give a vital invitation to the people and to the disciples. There's saved and there's lost people. There's those who know the Lord and those who have not put their faith in Christ in this setting. And when He had called the people unto Him with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the death, burial, and resurrection, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Speaking to the lost. Perhaps verse 37, speaking to the saved. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What things will we value? Will it be the things of man or the things of God? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and uh, sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We've seen Jesus' correction, but now we see Jesus' call. And this is an invitation that not many are going to be uh, willing to follow. Whosoever will come after me, he says, to all of them, You are welcome to come after me. You are welcome to follow me. But there's three things that I need you to understand if you're going to do that. By the way, those same three things are the things that God's uh, children need to understand and be reminded of this morning. He says, first of all, deny yourself. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny self? Well, it's, first of all, it's battling. To deny yourself means that you are denying what you value. You are denying what you want, your opinion, and, and your ideas. And it's a battle, isn't it? To deny self. Denying yourself includes battling to overcome the constant demands of the flesh and bringing them into the submission of God's Word so that we don't give in to sin. It's denying self. It's battling, but also to deny self, it's acknowledging. It means acknowledging that the old self is dead and the new life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's understanding, as Paul said, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God. I've put away my value system and I've placed value on what God says and what God is teaching and God teaches that I must deny myself. It's a battle. And I must acknowledge that the old self is dead, that I've been crucified with Christ and I'm living for Him. It's also daily. It never stops until we leave this earth. 
It's battling. It's acknowledging. It's daily. From the moment of our salvation, self-denial becomes a daily exercise for the rest of our lives on earth. It's flesh versus spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and He is trying to teach us through His Word the value system of God, the things that He values, all the while our flesh is fighting against that because it has its own value system as well. And He says you must deny yourself and only by God's grace and yielding to the Holy Spirit can we learn to deny ourselves. But it's every day. It's multiple times a day. But if we want to be disciples, if we want to be followers of Christ, if we want to, to make a difference in, in the lives of those around us, we must deny self. But, you know, this also applies to our earthly relationships. We have struggles in our relationships. And, and that's a part of, of living in this sin-cursed world. God has given us what we need to, to, to fix that. And sometimes it's simply for a husband and a wife or parents and children or uh, co-workers together to deny themselves, to put away the things that we hang on to by pride and for the sake of the home, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the work that you're trying to accomplish to deny ourselves. Whosoever will come after me, deny himself. The next he says... Take up your cross. What does that mean? Take up your cross. Well, let me tell you what it does not mean first. Many people interpret the cross here as perhaps a burden that they must carry in their lives. Maybe it's a, a financial strain or a strained relationship or a, a thankless job or a a physical illness, and, and we say, well, that's my cross that I have to carry. And though those are real burdens, and they are heavy upon us as we go through them. That's not what Jesus meant when He said to bear the cross, to take up your cross. You see, when Jesus carried His cross up Golgotha to be crucified, nobody was thinking of the cross as a, a symbolic of a burden to carry. It wasn't symbolic of something that's uh, a personal trial that we're going through. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death by the most painful and humiliating means that human beings could develop. Everybody, when they talked about taking up the cross and when they mentioned the Roman cross, they knew what that meant in the first century. And now 2,000 years later or so, Christians view the cross as a, 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 a symbol of atonement, a symbol of, of love, of forgiveness, of, of grace, of salvation, of course. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but torturous death. It wasn't a pretty picture. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. Bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. Well, nobody wants to come to that invitation. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. To be willing to die to self. To be willing to die to the things that we value. To be willing to, to, to die and surrender our lives to the Lord. It's, it's to be able to say uh, to the Lord as, as Paul uh, commanded and asked us to pray. He, he begged us, he beseeched us that 
we as, as God's children that we would present ourselves a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service and only happens because of Christ. And not be conformed to this world. Don't think like this world. Don't value what this world values. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, I may, that you may prove or know what is that good and uh, acceptable and perfect will of God. That you may know my mind, that you may know what I value, that you may follow me. And it all hinges upon our willingness to surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be willing. Wherever Jesus went, he drew crowds. But when, the, when, when Jesus began teaching that he was going to die at the hands of the Jewish and Gentile leaders, his popularity sank. Can you imagine why? Many of the shocked followers rejected him. They walked with him no more. Truly, they were not able to put to death their own ideas, their own plans, their own desires, and exchange them for His. But that's what the invitation is. And that's what Jesus Christ requires. And may I ask us this morning, are we able to surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus and put to death our own ideas and our own plans and our own desires and realize that the truth of God's Word is the mind of God and the way He thinks and His will for us and value this, value Him. He said that you must deny Himself Take up your cross. And then he said, follow me. Follow me. It means to put ourselves in step with him. The prophet Amos said, can two walk together except they be agreed? What do we agree? We agree in who Jesus is. We agree in his will. We agree in what he wants, what he values. Follow me. Now, following the Lord is easy when things are smooth, isn't it? But our true commitment to Him is revealed during trials and hardships. Jesus told us that trials are going to come. He told us that tribulations were going to come. He that lives godly shall suffer persecution. I mean, those are things that the Lord said. And we've got a whole culture of religion that is preaching the same thing that, that, that Peter and the disciples mistakenly thought. That there's a, there's a prosperity of, of religion in this world. There's a, there's a, 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 that it's all about good things and positive things and, and uh, uh, never losing a battle and, and living prosperously and having all of these wonderful things in this life. But that's not the gospel that Jesus preached and taught. He said that there's going to be hardships. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be trials. And discipleship demands sacrifice. And, and Jesus never hid that. And sometimes we need to be reminded that He never hid that cost. For example, in Luke chapter number 9, there were three folks that seemed to be willing to follow Jesus. But when Jesus questioned them further, their commitment was half-hearted at best. They failed to count the cost of following Him. And none was willing to take up His cross and crucify, uh, crucify upon it His own interests. You know, the, the worst enemy that I have in this world is me. The man I look at in the mirror. The one I struggle with the most is me. 
and my interests that contradict with God's truth. But before I even got saved, January 26 of 92, I had to come to the place to where I said, I no longer value the things that I've been living for and chasing after. I see that there's no value in them and all it causes is grief and all it causes is an appetite for more and deeper away from God. I realize, and I turn to you, Jesus, I realize that you have died for me and that you love me and that you want to forgive me and give me uh, the gift of eternal life. And that day, my value system changed. But it's a daily battle of conflict as we continue on to follow the Lord. You know, in some places of the world, these consequences that we read about are reality. You think of believers in Afghanistan and, and you think all over the world, different places. But the question is, are you willing May God help us to never have to go through those things, but as we see the way that our world and our culture is heading, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more opposed to Christ and what He values. And if we dare decide that we want to help others and encourage others and teach others to value the things of God and to put aside the things of man, boy, it really gets heated, doesn't it? And that's just going to go more and more as time goes on. But are you willing, are you willing to surrender your life to Him? You see, following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean all these things will happen to you, but are you willing to take up your cross? And if there comes a point in your life where you're faced with a choice, Jesus or the comforts of this life, which will you choose? It depends on what you value. And so we see... Jesus' correction. We see, secondly, Jesus' call. And lastly, we see Jesus' consolation. There's always an element of hope. Just like the choir sang about a little while ago. An element of hope. Hope in life and in death. And the Lord gives us hope. And that hope is found in verse 35. For whosoever will save his life. The word save there means to deliver, to protect, to preserve, to keep safe his life, his values. He shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose, that word means to destroy or to bring to naught, to make void, powerless, useless lose his life, surrender his life for my sake, Jesus said, and the gospels, the same shall save it, deliver it, protect it, preserve it, keep it safe. It's a paradox of statement. And there's several of them throughout the scriptures. But if you want life as Jesus Christ defines life, then you must lose yours and what you value and surrender to His. That takes place at salvation. That takes place daily in the life of the believer. He's talking to the disciples and He's talking to people who haven't accepted Christ. 
And the reward is worth the price. You understand that Jesus followed His call of death to self. He was in the garden and you remember He prayed, if this cup could pass, nevertheless, Thy will be done. He followed His call of death to self. And behind that for us came the gift of eternal life. This life is so temporary and yet we, we treat it like it's eternal. And the Lord Jesus has offered to us the gift of eternal life through Christ and through His sacrifice. I can't think of a better example of this than in Mark chapter number 10. And it's the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10 and start with me. In verse number 17. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing. What's that one thing? Well, we know here specifically, we're about to see it. That one thing is to lose your life, to surrender your life for Jesus' sake. He said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, investing in eternal things, right? And come, take up, thy take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus didn't want the man's riches. Jesus wanted the man's willingness. When the Lord told Abraham to take Isaac, as a sacrifice. God knew what He was doing. God didn't want Isaac. God wanted Abraham. And God doesn't want the things that get in our way of following Him. God wants us to remove those hindrances so that we can. He doesn't want our money and our houses. and He owns everything. What He wants is your heart. What He wants is my willingness. What He wants is us to recognize what He's done for us, the price He's paid for us so that we can have this wonderful gift of salvation that we sing and praise God about and we thank Him for every day. And as we see that, to recognize that He has a will for us to live. He wants us to deny self, to take up our cross and follow Him. Verse 22, And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Where did he place his value? It wasn't in what Christ had said. It was in what he had. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God 
not because of their riches, but because of their hindrance in this particular context. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And obviously attributing riches to the blessing of God or the proof of God's pleasure. But that's not where the pleasure of God comes from. It's when we are willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Him. Verse 27, And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's it is again, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he's reminding Peter of humility and serving. But he says to them in this, this, this uh, promise in verse 29, and 30, that for those who have left house and brethren and sisters and father and mother and wife, and by the way, there's still places in this world where when you turn away from a, a false religion and you turn to Jesus Christ, you understand that you are turning away from family and friends and houses and lands. But I love what the Lord said. He shall receive an hundredfold in this time. How in the world can we receive brethren and sisters? Well, I'm looking at a multitude of brothers and sisters in Christ. God's fulfilling what He said. I imagine that if a tree fell on our house again, that some of you may even open up your houses to allow us to stay in. Maybe not. Um, and And... Brothers and sisters and houses. Look, the, the, the church family, as God has brought us together, he, is, he has brought to us the fulfillment of what He's saying right here. If you will follow Me, I will place you in a family of believers that you can be a blessing and a help to, and that will be a blessing and a help to you. They'll be your brothers and your sisters and your mothers. And by the way, my mom is here, but i got a lot more moms in here too. How many of you can testify to that? There's mothers in here that, you know, say motherly things to me. Like, you're too fat. Or, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about being, anyway. <laughs> Jesus' consolation. Hey, the reward is worth the price, and that's just in this life. But then he says, in the world to come, eternal life. Finally, what, he, what, he's, what, the, what the apostles were hoping that Jesus was going to do at that time, He really is going to do. One day He's coming. Oh, glorious day. Jesus' consolation. Hey, the reward is worth the price. Jesus followed His call to death with self, with the gift of life in Jesus. And so here's Jesus' invitation. 
Are you willing? Well, I've been a believer since, you know, 1942, but are you still willing to deny yourself, take up that cross, and follow Him? Well, I surrendered last week at a church meeting, but today, are you willing to follow Him? Are you willing? And that's the invitation. And if it was an invitation of if you come to Him, you're going to go home rich and prosperous and all of these wonderful things, people would come for that. People do come for that. But that's because of valuing the things of man, not the things of God. Look, serving the Lord, many of you know this far greater than I do, Serving the Lord, it's just not a cakewalk. It's not. But it's worth it. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy than serving the Lord and, and, and working hard and, and, and knowing that, that the, the hard times are going to come, but that Christ is going to be with us, that His grace is going to be given. And there's a fulfilling of the Spirit of God that cannot be answered by anything that man does or that we can accomplish. By the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.